0: 10,
1: 9, 8,
2: 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Live from London, this is the Sunday Morning Breakfast Show with Sobia Iqbal on Teachers Talk Radio.
3: Good morning. You're listening to Sobia Stella Sunday. It's Sunday, the 10th of October, and we have the best conversations coming your way. How can we raise standards in business studies? And how can we create an outstanding department? We're also discussing whether feminism betrays women of colour and should we be doing lots of intervention. It's another thrilling morning. Prepare for takeoff.
2: Live from London, this is the Sunday Morning Breakfast Show with Sobia Iqbal on Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live on the Podbean app or desktop player. Just head over to www.podbean.com slash lsw ttradio or search Teachers Talk Radio. Follow the hashtag ttradio.
3: Introducing Atia Ejaz this morning. Atia is an Associate Assistant Head at Levensham High School. During her 18 years of teaching, she has held both pastoral and academic leadership roles that led to a range of whole school roles, including professional mentor for ITTS, literacy coordinator, and e learning lead. She is an MPQSL assessor and moderator, loves learning and developing both herself and others. We're going to come back to Atia soon. Good morning, everyone. Hope everyone's having a great weekend so far. Um, It's been a rough week for me. I've not been well, so this is my first live show. uh, And also, I haven't been at work, so uh, I'm just getting back into the routine of things this morning. Um, I have a wonderful guest with us this morning. uh, But before I bring her on, I just wanted to go um, through a few things. uh, Just to let you know that this will be uh, my last show for the next two weeks. I'm going to be on every two weeks from now on. Um, I will be advertising when I'm on. It's just that I have other uh, commitments right now which are taking precedence. Uh, and so I won't be able to do a weekly running format like I have been doing for the last six months. Okay. So, Atia, good morning. Are you there? Good morning. How are you, Sophia? I'm very well, thank you. Um, Atia, for our listeners, can you explain how long you've been teaching and your journey up until now?
0: Sure. So um, I've actually been teaching for 18 years. And when I say that to the students, they're like, I wasn't even born then. So it's great. It's like a great confidence booster. So um, I started my journey as being a Key Stage 3 to 5 IT and Business Studies teacher and very early on, I had this fantastic mentor, Jayshree Patel, um, who really believed in me and um, somebody who wasn't very confident with herself. I wouldn't go for promotions and I thought I wasn't good enough, but she supported me in becoming my first role was head of house, then a key stage five coordinator, head of faculty, uh, head of department in my first school. And then stayed there for seven years because I like stability. And then I moved to my next school where I became a head of faculty, um, e-learning lead. So I'd introduced the VLE, introduced iPads for the faculties, um, literacy lead and all of this happening um, as well as having a a demanding personal life as well. Um, But it's just been fantastic. And I've loved most of the 18 years of being here. (laughs) (laughs)
3: <laughs> uh, and like some of your experience I, I was speaking to Atia earlier this morning and as I was saying earlier some of your experience is fantastic because some people don't even get to that stage um, and the fact that you've had several leadership roles across school has been brilliant as well. Now Atia. The reason why I asked you to come on today is because obviously business is close to my heart as well, because I am a head of business as well. And like you, I started off with teaching computer science and IT and then moved over to business. And I did have business at the beginning as well, because I used to be head of business. Uh, I got promoted very quickly uh, and then I ended up in roles which were just computing and IT. And then I left business for a long time. Uh, left the profession for a bit and then came back in as head of business. Now, one of the things that I found that's different to computer science and IT teaching is obviously there's a lot more literacy within business. And in 2009, KPMG wrote a report uh, discussing the low levels of literacy which undermine the uk's economic competitiveness costing taxpayers 2.5 billion pounds a year and they were they went on to say that a third of businesses are not satisfied with young people's literacy skills when they enter the workforce and a similar number have organized remedial training to improve their basic skills and communication and kevin collins also um, as part of the education uh, education endowment foundation wrote the same thing and it's something that's not new at here because obviously we've both been in the profession for almost two decades now um when i'm teaching business studies i find that it's harder to engage boys with lower literacy levels to read and read and write longer answer questions what kind of strategies have you found useful in your subject area to tackle this yeah
0: really good point and and that. The, the, the research from KPMG really echoes what we're seeing in the classroom, where now even more so because of, of uh, mobile phones, but also literacy has been an issue for many, many years. But now because pupils are texting, they're not speaking as much in terms of full sentences, starting a sentence with basically. So um, I, I think a lot more emphasis is are certainly in our teaching and learning around just giving pupils those basic um teaching them the basics and that disciplinary literacy more so now is needed for every subject where every single one of us is talking about um reading skills is talking about how to write properly giving them the structure um strips so i know previously we've always i know that in our faculty we've had well we've got one hour a week with computing and how would we go about teaching literacy as well but we've worked on that and said If even if we're all just chipping away at one tiny thing and that one step, we're going to move forward to everybody improving on their literacy. So with regards to um, looking at how to be able to support pupils, especially with the reading, I think it started with the short answers. So you're building their confidence. So you're starting with the two marks and the three marks and then the four marks. And you're slowly building them reading a little bit more because we know that in business studies, we've got case studies and they've got two case studies study scenarios they need to read really quickly comprehend select the the side of um business that's going to be applied and then answer this essay style question so giving them little drips right from the beginning year 10 starting with little case studies and then building it up i found that um whole school class approaches to answering questions so we sit there with a scenario and because i'm an examiner for ocr i know how the papers are written so, we, so explaining to the pupils that there's about three or four adults sat there who've really thought about every single word that's written in this case study. So why have they given you that information? So we really annotate this to death. And we keep referring back to how they annotate in English. They're so using the same skills. Um, and one of the things I found that, that's worked really well this year is modelling the answers. So I'll read a case study and I will live model and annotate on the board and we'll say, okay, why is this important? Which part of business does this relate to? Um, and then pupils seeing think my thinking process. So they'll see that I'm thinking out loud and I'm asking them questions, but I'm making mistakes as well. And they love it when I make mistakes. So I'll say, okay, no, no, not this bit. Oh, it's this bit. So live modeling with them um, and just get, giving them exposure to reading material that's small, incremental and builds on it over time um is really vital because they won't read outside the subject so um yeah giving them lots and lots of uh, exposure to reading strategies
3: thank you for that i mean One of the things that I realised that was lacking in our school, uh, and I mentioned to our senior leadership team, and they did take it on board, and for the last year or so, we have been doing it across whole school, was that a few years ago, in Alex Quigley's Closing the Vocabulary Gap, um, he mentions this part about word learning is necessary if we're to give every child access to the academic code needed for school success, and he goes really heavily deep into etymology and the stu- which is the study and origin of words. And he also goes into morphology, which is the study of structure and the different parts of the words as well. So as a whole school, what we did was we, in order to roll out literacy across the whole school, we actually implemented something called word of the week. And every subject now has to use that word of the week within their subject area. Which is a great way of getting students involved in literacy Um, and also within my own subject area, I also make sure that I use words which are tier two and tier three uh, vocab uh, in order to enhance their, their written skills, their oracy and their written skills as well. Now, Alex Quigley goes on to say that there should be a structured approach to wider reading alongside a focus on oracy with both being wedded to direct instructions of academic vocabulary and needing a you know getting students to uh, sorry helping students with tackling a bigger harder curriculum so this word consciousness is really important so that they can confidently and independently uh, encounter new words which obviously is a pride across the whole curriculum within your subject area but also the whole curriculum within a school um are you doing anything like that in your school yeah I uh, so Yes,
0: we've really put uh, a lot of emphasis on the tier two and tier three words as well, because um, I, we serve, at Room High School, we serve like, quite a diverse uh, community with uh, pupils perhaps English not being their first language as well. So having pupils who aren't really okay with the English language and then coming into a subject that's got so many keywords that we're throwing at them constantly. Um, so previously, I would think that by giving them like a keyword term at the beginning of the, the year... They'd go away and, and learn this somehow and I wouldn't make as much reference to it and I, I would talk about a keyword. I'd stick it up in my first slide and then that was me done but actually I realized that no it, it's a lot more deeper and you have to be more explicit about the way that we're teaching and referring to these keywords as well. So getting them to understand it and like you said deciphering the keywords so getting them to understand what the word that breaking it down the background to that word and understanding it and then now more so than ever getting them to be able to use those key vocabulary in their sentences when they're talking so that when they're when they're writing it down they're able to apply it in the correct way as well so yes definitely that explicit teaching of vocab and talking to them about tier two and tier three language because for many of the pupils that we serve they're not using this language at home so they're not exposed to this in in any way and therefore we have that extra duty to explicitly teach them these words so that they can then know how to use them in their language Where are then correcting anything that isn't working well but ex- constantly exposing them and asking them to use these words in their language and when they're not ex- you saying right okay which word would be better and so we're doing a lot around when they're starting to verbalize words um getting them to repeat the same thing and say that's a fantastic answer but let's try and re- re- repeat it and Say you're a business entrepreneur now talk like a business entrepreneur so we're doing a lot of speak like a scientist speak like a, a linguist um, and getting them to just verbalize their thinking before they can write it down
3: yeah i mean i agree we've got uh reading lessons alongside that as well so um- I totally agree about the idea that they don't do uh, lots of wider reading outside in their uh, in their own time and we need to make sure that we offer that um you know, provision, fiction and nonfiction and academic text uh, to help them develop that vocab. Because obviously when they do come into our subject areas, it it does get difficult. And one of the problems that I've always had in business studies is it's heavily literacy-based. And if it's heavily literacy-based and their English results are not good and they don't know how to use vocab properly, it, it makes an impact on, you know, on how they express themselves and what they actually write down as well. And Shanahan and Shanahan say, this is some more research that I found, that fundamentally, because each field of study has its own purposes, its own kind of evidence and its own style of critique, each is going to produce different texts and reading those texts are going to require some Form of different reading strategies. And I think that's the important distinction to make between whole school literacy and literacy within departments that every subject is going to require their own practice for reading, writing, talking, and thinking. So your idea of speaking like a scientist, speaking like a business entrepreneur, or speaking like a business subject specialist is 100% spot on. And the, going back to Alex Quigley, um, the only way you can do this properly is by looking at word morphology, looking at Greek and Latin prefixes, which kind of helps students to kind of try and guess what the word means. Yeah.
0: No, definitely. Um, Because again, once they're understanding that and if every subject teacher is doing that, not for the entire lesson, just one reference to it, then they're seeing the links and they're saying, "Okay, yeah, I did something like this in, in science, didn't I, where I broke that word down. And we're giving them the tools to be able to get them to understand the backgrounds behind the words and then they can go away and apply this on their own. One of the things that we did a couple of years back was we made reading lists for each faculty area as well. So history had their own um, fiction and non-fiction reading lists. Um, and that worked well for some of our avid readers. But actually, the ones that weren't reading in the first place would look at this list and say, oh, that's a good list, but then wouldn't do much with it. So um, I started breaking down news articles because, again, previously what I would do is print out a page of a newspaper um, and say, go away and read it. And again, You know some would access it and some wouldn't so now what i'm doing is breaking it down even further and just so when gas prices were increasing two weeks ago getting i've just printed out um a couple of paragraphs and then got them to think about it and write around it so having that live you know what's happening around the world um reading small chunks is is supporting it as well
3: Yeah, I mean, the uh, Education Endowment Foundation also say that within your own subject area, you should look at commonalities with other subjects. And you should also look at the language for subject discipline and address misconceptions when they take place. And that's looking at words or phrases. We've also in my department, um, I don't know how you're doing it in your department, but I've got a word wall. So I've got the key words that I think are tier two and tier three vocabulary plastered around on a display um, at the back of the classroom. So if students do want to have a look at it and see the meaning and practice those words they're able to do so as well
0: that's a really good idea because i've given them the key words and it's like what i did previously give them a glossary and then i've not been referring to it so now what i'm doing is just parts of homework saying okay so use these keywords and, and write so write a business article around something um and just a short piece but getting them to actively use those words as well
3: Okay. And um, moving on from that, when we're talking about oracy and structured talk, how do we translate that into good written skills? Because I find that students are very, very good at telling me the answers to a question or explaining the case study or the scenario that we're discussing in business. But when it comes to actually writing things down, they struggle. How can business teachers deal with that?
0: Really good point, because I'd actually uh, just been to a literacy course a couple of weeks back, and they made a great um, point about the fact that teachers will often put, and I did this, I would put an exam answer, uh, exam style mark scheme onto the board and say, this is what we're aiming for. And so pupils would be able to read this, understand most of it, think about the, and we'd highlight the bits that they hadn't included in their answers. And I thought that was a really good way of of modelling what I wanted from them. But what i didn't do is give them the step-by-steps on how to get there so i've turned it around now um i'll do that live i'm going back to live modeling because it's something i'm trying this year so we'll have a look at um, uh, an answer and we'll say right okay what are the first steps so What we're doing now is saying, okay, what is it that we need? What business terms do we need? And what is it? So that essay plan, referring back to English, how they're doing this really well in their English lessons, and perhaps they weren't in business. So we're breaking it down to let's build in some time in lessons to do essay structured um, plans. What are the keywords? Where's the application? Because we know that we need to apply to the scenario. So what are the bits in the um, case study that we need to apply to? And what are we going to actually do? So I've given them time to bullet point exactly what they're going to write in the answer. And then the next lesson, we're then saying, right, what would we write in the first paragraph? And me talking about it and writing it out giving them like the open book scenario so they're not being tested on the content. And actually work, I didn't do that with my year 11s and I wish I did because I would have saved hours and hours of trying to get them to then teach them how to write an essay. Um, And now doing that with year 10s, it's actually paying off because already... I can see that they're starting to learn because we're giving them we're, we're expecting them to write something, but we're not giving them the tools on how to do it. And I found that um, structure strips as well are really helping because it can be quite daunting when you're seeing a blank piece of paper and you've got to write something on it. Whereas if you've got like a little structure strip like sentence starters or a checklist, it feels safer as a student to think, right, OK, this is what I need to write in the first paragraph or this and i know that some english teachers say that that can be stifling for their fac- their area but i feel that like in business studies it's working because i'm telling them what, what i'm looking for instead of saying here you can go away and do it and not showing them how that should be done so
3: yeah this is wrong yeah. I mean, in my department, we've changed things over the last couple of years as well. We've done everything. We've done uh, structure strips. Um, we've done essay planning. I've changed it uh, for the last two years Though we've got something called unhooking the question. And it's, it's very similar to what you've just described, actually. Um, basically, I ask them what the question is asking. It's like a structure that I follow. We've then got the keywords that they should use in their answer. Um, Also, we go through subject terminology, uh, concepts. What do they actually need to have in this answer? And then I've got two separate sections uh, similar to what you have. In paragraph one, with sentence starters, what should be expected? And in paragraph two, what should be expected? And if it's a nine mark question, you go on to the conclusion as well. One of the things that I found from uh, a colleague, Philippa, she said one of the things that helped boys was actually uh, using um, a guideline to show them exactly how much they should be writing. So putting a border around the amount of text that they should be writing to make sure that they know they have to fill that space because I find that boys quickly rush through, they don't read properly, they'll do the bare minimum to try and get the marks uh, for the longer answers. And so that kind of is helping me now because I give them, a kind of structure to make it clear to them this is the amount that I'm expecting but also indicating that quality is important as much as quantity.
0: Yes, definitely.
3: Um, there was an American literacy expert called Kellogg, um, and they suggest that writing can, he or you know suggests that writing can be as cognitively demanding as chess, so for example, for students it's really hard for them to transcribe in the first place, which is to write or type it's really hard for them to compose, so generate ideas and translate them into word sentence and structured text and it's really hard for them to use their executive functions to make them motivate themselves, review and redraft texts. Now, obviously, in business studies and English, we, we all have that problem with academic writing where students struggle to write things properly in the first place. And once they have written something as a draft, to make them improve that draft. So how do you develop academic writing within your area and how do you motivate them or instill that? motivation for them to redraft their work such a good point
0: um we've um so i work in a girl's school and so girls do not like writing having mistakes on their writing at all so they don't like the crossing off and they don't like um you know the 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 drafting because they feel like they've not done well enough in the first attempt then so as a school we've done quite a lot in terms of saying look mistakes are okay and the first version of something um, we showed them um picture of um i think it's the uh, te- the book um i think it's harry potter's books and showed them how um they were drafted first of all and then they were rejected and they were redrafted as well so explicitly saying that look we're doing draft one now and then that makes them feel safer because it's like okay i'm doing draft one sometimes that doesn't work because some feel like i don't need to put the effort in because it's only a draft but actually on the whole, it's working well. Um, so getting them to draft and then say, okay, we're going to go back and improve. We do a green sheet system. So we ask pupils, so we'll mark the work and then they have to rep- um, to improve a section or most of it on a green sheet. And that's showing that that was my first bit. Now I'm making these improvements so I'm using the te- whatever the teachers asked me to improve on and I'm going and doing that. SPAG is so important. So one of the things that we're doing now is um, just highlighting in that first paragraph um some of the spag issues and then they're going back and improving spag on that instead of a whole page of lots and lots of spelling mistakes just choosing a couple of spellings and they go back and write the spellings out three times Um, but also that importance and explicit importance of this is the first draft now we're improving so that whole school approach to everybody knowing that okay the teacher's going to mark this extended work and i'm going to be expected to, to improve and for us to also build in that time as well because as we know, the content that we have to cover is so vast. and you haven't got the time so building in homework um, you know uh, resources where they're going back and improving at home or they're building re- redrifting uh, what we're doing in lessons just so that they've got that time to be able to redraft and improve.
3: Yeah, I mean, it's very similar to Austin's butterflies, isn't it? I mean, your your green your green sheet exercise is just literally you're showing them that this is what you need to do to improve, and each stage of improvement they can see what they've done uh, to add to it. Um, obviously, when you're writing long answer questions and for those listeners who don't teach business studies we've got we're like history and english we have really long essay type questions that are nine mark questions 12 mark questions Uh, and students find this really difficult because our subject is quite academic and complex Um, and sometimes head teachers don't understand how academic uh, and complex it is um, because of the fact that we don't have a lot of time in the curriculum to deliver our subject. Um, We do have, um, you know, two years to cram in, whereas other subjects have five years. And one of the things that I found difficult at here in some of the schools that I've worked in, um, and this is the same for computing and ICT as well, is that members of SLT assume that ICT computing and business is an easy option and therefore put students um, who aren't as academic into those subjects which kind of causes problems for us who are delivering academic courses rather than vocational ones.
1: Yeah
0: we've what we've done is we've tried to sort of curb that by having two tiers Um, so we've got The high, well, supposedly the higher tier, doing uh, GCSE business, and we've got then um, uh, the enterprise and marketing OCR Nationals as well for the other pupils. But even then, it's still not the same because when they're entering your lesson, like you've just said, we're expecting them to have some sort of background knowledge and knowledge and understanding of the world that we can then build on. So um, one of the examples is um, two couple of weeks ago, I was doing a lesson and I was saying, right, okay, so right. Where does wool come from? And one of the pupils put a hand up and she goes, Cows. And I said, No, um, where does wool come from? <laughs> Nobody in my class could tell you where it comes from. And then, okay, so let's move on. Let's take cotton. So explaining where wool comes from. And they were all shocked, um, because it's in the city of Manchester that are teaching. And then cotton, so explaining that we're extracting cotton from the uh, the the uh from plants, but As soon as it was cat a horse and somebody else said um a sheep because they thought okay so if wool comes from sheep then cotton must do as well and so if they've not got the basic under concepts around the world then we're having to teach that first before we can start to get them to access our subject and so that that struggle is so real where they're not, they're not reading around, so they're not understanding about interest rates or, rates or inflation or anything around the world. And so you're spending quite a lot of time giving them that cultural capital so that they can then start to access your subject.
3: Yeah, I mean, I think before it wasn't such an issue, but obviously, since the nine to one has been introduced, it has become more of an issue because we're having to deliver lots of content in such a short amount of time. And that kind of uh, can hinder progress because one of the problems that business studies has as a subject is that you've got a wide range of ability of students. So we're not seted, we don't have any, um, we don't have uh, lots of students of similar. Um, levels or grades but it's literally, you're going from grade two up to grade nine. Um, And it's kind of like, it does become a a bit ridiculous when class lists aren't looked at in advance uh, and people aren't thinking strategically uh, about whether students will be able to handle the content uh, and and the information that's in this uh, subject. Because, uh, you know, some people don't regard business studies as an academic subject, but actually the skills required of analysis, evaluation. Uh, and all the other things that we teach in business studies are quite demanding and academic.
0: Yeah, I often say to my students that, actually, if you've done decent in business studies, the colleges will understand that you've picked up a new discipline, a new subject that you had no knowledge about um, in year nine, and then you started year 10 and you've got your head around all this content, learned how to be able to analyze and apply all, all this content to exam scenarios and move forward. So actually, personally, I would put you at a higher stead because you've gone with something you've never touched before or knew about before
3: yeah moving back on to business studies as a delivery then in terms of delivery when you're in your classroom I mean, obviously, I've I've mentioned this issue because I teach in a mixed uh, mixed school, boys and girls, um, and I do find that boys uh, struggle a lot with the uh, reading and the writing side of it. Can you just explain? You said you mentioned it very briefly about annotating case studies, but how can we use case studies effectively to help with the development of longer answer questions? How can we develop those application skills so that we are moving into level three? answers which are the grade seven eights and nines
0: it's so important for our girls our students to be able to do that as i've just mentioned they're coming into our subjects with very little understanding of the world and if they're not accessing what different businesses are doing around uh, and understanding different situations they can't access the, the exam paper so i know that i think it was about three or four years ago the ocr paper gcse business was talking about um it was um, a garden nursery. Um, so it was talking about a garden centre, sorry. And the question said nursery. It didn't talk about plants or anything else. It said refer to nursery. So our students talked about children because they did not understand that the nursery in a garden centre, because they'd never been to a garden centre before, many of them. Well, In fact, actually, I asked that class and none of them have been, have been to a, a garden centre So they didn't understand what a garden centre was. And secondly, when they read the word nursery, they thought children. And so they answered the question incorrectly because they could not understand the case study. And so the case study scenarios that we're getting, I mean, thankfully, it's getting better. But previously, there was a cheese factory, there was something else that pupils in my setting certainly did not know because they've never been to those things. So Now, more so than anything else, as business teachers, we're having to teach them about all sorts of different scenarios and keywords and giving them examples. Because previously, I can put my hands up and say, I talk about Tesco's and Aldi or talk about, you know, um, the, the shops that they've gone to New Look because I wanted to make it accessible for them. But now I've realized that actually I've got to talk about different types of questions that they've never seen because... The wording of the exam question and the scenarios are not going to be of an inner city Manchester ethnic minority area, and so the businesses they're making up are something that are out re- not in reach. So um, I show them lots of YouTube videos when we're reading a case study. So um, Year Elevens now are doing production, so we're watching. So we're reading about car plants, but then we're also watching YouTube videos so they can visualise it. Um, one of the things I'm doing is business in the news so that's a uh, homework regularly so they're watching um, they, they, they have to go away and think or read an article or read something that's in the news make some bullet points about it and then the starter in the next les- next lesson will be for them to be able to talk about it and so they're then hearing what's happening out there in the world without mrs. Ejad having to stand there and bore the hell out of them um, they're talking to each other about it and they're finding it interesting, then they're just writing one interesting thing that they found. I know it's t- building, cutting into my teaching time, but hopefully longer term, that investment in there as well. And then. Yeah. Sorry, go, on. Sorry, go ahead. Oh, no, carry on,
3: carry on. I was just going to say it's a very valid and interesting point you make about the uh, exam questions uh, and the amount that's required to understand what the question is asking uh, and also the vocab that's being used because I used to work for an exam board so I got to see the behind the scenes of what happens and it takes about eight months to make a paper and it goes through many iterations and most of the people that were writing uh, the exams were from... Uh, a a white uh, background and you know these are highly academic highly qualified people and they're fantastic people I worked with them you know they're really nice people you know they've got masters PhDs really really uh, academic however you've just touched on a very very important part which is that that cultural capital that's needed um, in order for our students to understand if they come from an uh, ethnic minority background is that they're not going to come across those terms uh, in everyday life Uh, and one of the problems that i've always had is when i'm reading exam questions uh, i know for a fact that i have to explain words to them so i have to break down things um because just like you have to break down complex writing tasks you have to do that with the exam paper as well so i kind of go down to a word level sentence level and also a whole text level instruction and reading and writing is very closely linked obviously and so um it's really really important i think for exam boards to understand that they need to be talking to teachers regularly and getting input and feedback from them because some exam paper questions are not adequate, you know?
0: Yeah, it's a barrier before they've even started, isn't it? It's a barrier when they're reading. So I know that recently, I know that OCR Enterprise and Marketing are putting their token gestures of scenarios or topics that, um, you know, that are a little bit more applicable to students. And I get that it's not going to be around you know, teenagers right now and they need to be able to pick up their knowledge and apply it to a different situation. But reading a paper where you're not understanding the the, the business itself is already a barrier because you're thinking, I don't know what this is, I don't know what a cheese factory is, or I don't know what a, you know a garden centre is. So already as a student, you're thinking, okay, I don't know this, I don't know this keyword, I don't know this, and now I've got to write about it. So yeah, it's so important to to really for exam boards to know who their audience is and be able to not dumb it down at all but make it applicable for a range of different students. Um hey, I think, sorry.
3: I was just going to say it's not just for business studies because I've had other middle leaders who I work with in other subjects such as music who say very similar things that, you know, students were thrown off a question because when we're going back through exam scripts and looking at where things have gone wrong or where students have not not made the marks that they should have got, that is something that comes into it. And, you know, it's something that's a whole system issue. It's nothing to do with, you know, one person or one department within a, a school or an yeah. area it is a whole wide issue uh, nationwide that I think needs to be looked into properly
0: yeah for papers to be accessible for all students and that is not to lower the quality in any way but it's, it's just making it more accessible and one less barrier for students so I think that lots of practice as well like you were saying as well is constantly going through a case study and annotating it doing it as a class regularly at the beginning when you're exposing them to different scenarios talking about it make those word level um them identifying i don't understand this word and it's okay for me to understand this word and there's a class discussing those words um and whole school class annotations of case studies as well so that they're getting used to this and then i will say to them now um right okay the first five minutes you need to read this case study you need to annotate before you even pick up um start answering your question and then you're allowed to so role modeling that to them and then we're going back to that cultural capital um we i've from a very earlier age realized for our students in my career is that we need to give them exposure to being able to do things like enterprise challenges so i always do the young enterprise for gcse students and i do use um the tycoon challenge for enterprise marketing or i've done the tenor challenge just because that that Practical element of, and they always do it in year 10 so that it's not eating into their year 11 time. Um, just that practical element of setting up their own business, selling shares, um, looking at where they're going to get the resources from, setting up a business, selling, and then where, where, when I'm teaching, they can refer back to it. Um, yes, it takes a lot of time in terms of teacher hours of doing that in the background, but I think that that exposure to practical elements is so, so important that our students perhaps won't, aren't going to get anywhere else.
3: Yeah, I mean, we do something similar, but I, I think what I decided to do in my school, at here was um, because I've got so much content to get through in year 10 and 11, and our students do find it very difficult because I've got a diverse range of students, um, we brought it down into Key Stage 3. So what I do now is run enterprise sessions in Key Stage 3 where we have got the opportunity. We used to have drop days. We used to do it through those. Now we have we haven't been doing it recently because of COVID. Um, but eventually we will return to those in key stage three. What I've also been doing, Atia, is through assemblies. I've been giving assemblies on business studies keywords. So, for example, it'll be a short assembly based around a theme and that will be related to business. Um, and also, as part of our registration tutorial sessions, we also do um, something um, related to business. We do it across the whole school where we do different subjects. Uh, we take it in turns, but I also do it through tutorials as well because I think it's really important for Key Stage 3 students, even though they're not taught business studies um in most schools they're not taught business studies i do think it's important to build it up within key stage three so by the time they get into key stage four they've got some sort of subject knowledge uh, vocab and understanding of what business studies is
0: yeah they're exposed to these words aren't they outside of school constantly and so i love the idea and i'm going to definitely magpie that off you um because if they need to be exposed to this they need to be aware of these words and understand business concepts before they can access anything and it is it's not about being a business person at the end of it or setting up your own business it's about being able to access any role at all and knowing things like personal specification person specs or job descriptions or anything the, the
3: One thing that really um, makes me laugh at you, because obviously I've been teaching, I've been head of business for five years, is when they come into the subject, not knowing, even though they've been given all the information beforehand, and we've done assemblies to tell them when they're choosing their options that this is what we're going to be doing in business studies. You still get those uh, students who come in and say, "Oh, but Miss, I joined because I want to, I want to set up my own business in the future," and uh, it makes me laugh because I have to turn around and say them well in order for you to do that you need to understand the concepts and if you can't understand the concepts and you can't get the basics right how are you going to possibly start up your own business and um, I think it's really what you've just said is really important it's not just being an entrepreneur it is about the whole wide range of business um, language and theory that you need um, what we've also done is we've changed things for the more able so before I go into what we're doing uh, how do you in your school stretch and challenge when you have a wide range of abilities within the classroom how do you encourage the more able um uh, firstly to get a grade A and nine uh, and secondly what do you do to give them a well balanced broad curriculum um so
0: Again, it was just that, you know, the reference that you made earlier where we've got students from grade two to grade nine. And so even though they're higher ability, they still don't have that understanding of the business world um, to be able to access some of the seven, eight and nine, because they've got to be able to analyze and evaluate something that they don't have any knowledge of. So I'll give them the same scenarios as uh, everybody will have the same scenarios. The lower ability will obviously get their scaffolding. But the higher ability will always have these challenge questions that I'll have on the side. So what does this mean and how will this apply to a different topic? Or how does this apply to a different subject? Or how does this apply to um, the business world? And so from an early stage, getting them to understand how what they've learned in this tiny topic or that tiny lesson is applying to all these different areas around them. And so once they're starting to build that link then I feel like they're going to start to access that higher mark band, if you like, because they can't analyse and evaluate something if they've never compared it to something else.
3: Yeah, I think... um... we do a wide range of things now um over the last couple of years what i've done in my department is um we've organized day trips to different organizations so for example uh giving them access to real world scenarios um we went to a marketing agency in london uh And that was fantastic because it was one of the world's leading uh, marketing agencies. And our kids really enjoyed that because they gave a thorough, in-depth introduction to the world of marketing. And our kids liked that. They could actually see themselves there. I had several kids say to me, oh, Miss, I can actually see this as a career in the future. And so it kind of exposed them to things that they haven't seen before. And then the other thing that I've been doing regularly is making business studies fun because one of the criticisms that we've always had in business studies and it's not anything new, it's been for years and years that business studies is boring because all we do is um, obviously theory based and even though we've got enterprise sessions and enterprise days and we've got different activities, how can we liven it up? So I've been going to lots of uh, networking events uh, with high profile business people. So for example, I met James Khan um, and entrepreneur show uh, and I-, I managed to record some of his clips when he was talking giving speeches and things like that i managed to get to go uh, to watch the apprentice backstage i show my students all these different things so that it inspires them to be able to do things like networking put things into practice that they don't necessarily get when they're in school
0: yeah um I was um, a whole school enterprise lead a um, couple years back and I kept talking to staff about making these. So, you know, what does it do mean to be um, a successful entrepreneur? Well, the enterprise skills that you need actually to be able to access the job market. So it's not, again, going back to that, not just to be a business person, but actually to access any job market at all, you need to be a risk taker. You need to be able to negotiate. You need to be able to um, network like you've just said. And how do you do that? So staff in other subjects, making that explicit and saying, right, these are the skills that you're going to need in the real world. And this is what it looks like. So the debating, the they're negotiating. Um, and if we're, if, they're, if we're not explicitly teaching those skills, then they're not going to be able to go out there and be able to stand up for themselves, to be able to present um, in a, a competent manner. But yeah, I love um, watching Dragon's Den. So homework will be watch, getting them to watch Dragon's Den, getting them to watch different parts of business clips. Mm. Um, and getting them to watch inspirational, um, really research inspirational people like um, Richard Branson, who started with nothing and now is going to space.
3: Yeah, I mean, it's I've also
0: their own background and somebody like them. Is yeah, being able to make it.
3: Yeah, I was going to say the same thing that I've got a, a wall in my room which is basically a reading wall, and it's got a whole load of entrepreneurs from different backgrounds, uh, there's diverse entrepreneurs, there's loads of people from different sections of business on there, so that every every student can see you know, a role model or someone representing them uh, within the world of business, which is important. And... I think for me, I think where I've kind of uh, settled in my teaching role now is that um, I do have a wide uh, range of students within my classroom, and it is very, very difficult to get them all up to the same standard, and I do teach to the top. Um, In order to support the more able, just to go back to my earlier question to get the grades eights and nines, um, what I... You know, obviously, what's really useful is retrieval practice, um, making sure that, you know, you're using low stake quizzing, making sure that you're making mind maps out of some of the uh, theory and knowledge that they already have, giving them homework questions, like you've mentioned before, and using graphic organizers. I've also started challenging them within the classroom. So I've basically um, scaled up activities so that they're thinking about things uh deeply rather than just focusing on uh, the basics um, and I also time them during exam questions as well and I give them the hardest questions. So I don't let them get away with just doing uh, the one marker, two marker, three markers. I make sure that I develop them further and give them really, really hard exam questions so that they can tackle them. Um, my displays are really annotated on the wall. So I've got um, we in my school, the current school that I'm in, they call it a mastery wall. But in previous schools that I've worked in, it's always just been a display full of um, exam work or even student work that has been assessed to show students clearly what exam grade that work is so for example it's sample coursework that you might just put up on the sample work sorry you might just put up as a display to show them this is how you get a grade eight and this is how you get a grade nine and that's usually worked really well for me as well um, and like you said before about modeling sharing the writing deconstructing it uh, maybe doing it through live marking uh, and also showing the changes that they've made is really important um I find I find sometimes even doing all of that sometimes can be uh, very, very difficult, especially if you're in a disadvantaged school. So um, Ron Berger has written a book called Ethic of Excellence, and he's got very similar uh, activities to what I've just mentioned, strategies, sorry, to what I've just mentioned, and that's really worth uh, reading into as well. Um is there anything that you can think of that would stretch them slightly further? I mean, we do wider reading as well. What other departmental strategies have you used to develop an outstanding department?
0: I think um, making sure that the the, the, the teachers, because I'm a specialist, and making sure all the teachers are exactly the same standard as you are as well and what you're expecting so that teacher sort of... Um, Making sure that we're constantly looking at each other's work and checking that we're both delivering the same high standard. And assessment and feedback, I feel like it's really I've really turned around how I used to mark work, and so we've gone to this no tick policy, not tick and flick. And if we're giving feedback, it's got to be meaningful and it's got to move the child forward. So I feel personally that the assessment and how what I'm telling them to to improve because before it, I'd make comments like "this is really good," but I wouldn't tell them exactly what was good. And when I'd say "go and," A key thing I'd say was, um, to improve, you need to analyze this. Now, if a pupil doesn't know what that means, or if a pupil doesn't know exactly how that looks like, then they're not going to be able to go back and analyze in more detail. So I love your idea of showing them another pupil's work of, this is what an eight or this is what a nine looks like. Because... I've gone away and done mark schemes and and talked through mark schemes, but actually seeing all the pupils work. Um, That high expectations, they're constantly teaching at the top and supporting the others to be there at the time. That recognizing achievement and celebrating achievement so that they're feeling good about the subject. Because in year 10, they won't do as well in their test results and they do feel deflated. And that constant, look, this is the improvements you're making. This is how you're getting better. Um, and that engaging and, and involving pupils, and in you're teaching and learning constantly as well.
3: Yeah, I I think um, another thing that I've done, um, and I don't know if this is useful for you, Atia, what I've done is for every task that I have within the classroom, I've got an extension task added now, whereas before I didn't. So I'm essentially stretching the more able constantly throughout every activity that I have in the room, which obviously takes a lot of time when you're planning a lesson. You have to think carefully about what you're doing. Um, But it's supposed to be like um, you want the whole class to be able to move at their own pace because one of the things that I'm finding uh, I've found over the years is that I spend so much time on the lower ability students that I don't get to spend time stretching the more able as I should be. And I think for me, for the last few years, I've been really focusing on that because I, I don't think it's fair that, you know, obviously we've got different, a wide range of uh, abilities. We shouldn't be just focusing on those who can't, we should be focusing on stretching those who can completely
0: yeah i found Tess was great because i found lots of challenge tasks on there so i've got a bank of those but you, like you said it's that mapping it into specific topics now so each powerpoint at the end will also have a challenge task and even your low ability students saying oh, i want to try the challenge task and that's okay let's get your first bit you know the basis sorted and yes you can and them trying that for homework and our pupils are really they do want to be able to get the highest grades um and for them to know right okay this is how I need to structure myself to be able to access that higher thing um also I found that parental engagement because quite often I have found that some parents will say oh yeah do business studies because it'll be easy and them not knowing how to be able to then support their child through this so um providing a a more um recently only I've just started sort of showing parents what they're going to be doing and the exam questions and just showing them links to the exam questions so that they can see what we're aiming for Um, And I found that that's not work for all parents, but for some parents that they've understood that that the demand for business studies is a lot higher sometimes for other subjects at the beginning because they're having to get their head around all these theory and concept and application skills that perhaps they've already mastered in, in other subjects.
3: Yeah, because other subjects have had longer than us. Like you know, something like RE, for example, has had since primary school. Students have been learning it since primary school. Same with English. Same, same with maths. So all subjects that have been doing, uh, who who have been taught since you know they were young, uh, young students. Same with geography as well. I think the other thing that I would do is focus on my questioning. Um, and questioning is really important because obviously, um, you need to make sure that your your challenging students and um- don't allow pupils not to answer. Give them proper thinking time. Um, we use whiteboards to make sure that everybody gives me an answer, so I can see misconceptions straight away, uh, and I can tackle those misconceptions. Um, and I also uh, make sure that they're able to explain to me why, rather than just giving me the basics of, of what's going on. And I think I think we have to kind of get to a stage where we're challenging our students regularly within the classroom because I think uh, it gets to a stage sometimes in business studies where students think that they can just give us vague answers and those vague answers that they give us then translate into vague writing and then that obviously means that they're missing um, the core uh, learning components that they should have uh, have learned and also uh, to be able to pass an exam at the end of it as well
0: yeah um i i get my students at the beginning in the first lesson to write me a letter and in this letter they have to tell me about why they've chosen chosen business studies and like your students quite a lot of them say because i want to set my own business up. It's like, okay um but they also have to tell me about stra- teaching strategies that they enjoy that they found in case 3 that worked for them so they liked it when teachers did such and such mentioning no names and then what they don't like when a teacher does and mm-hmm. A common thread that came out this year was, I don't like it when teachers ask me a question. (laughs) the world tough because I'm going to be asking you questions obviously didn't say it like that I explained why I would be asking them that you know the no hands-up policy is going to be used because actually I want to develop you to be confident young entrepreneurs by the end of this and in the real world you will be having to speak up and in meetings you'll be in situations where you'll be thinking of something and even if it's wrong I want you to be able to say it so Telling them why I'm, I'm going to be choosing different pupils. Um, and yeah, I found that I've never had that before. I've not had many, most of the class say, I don't like it when teachers ask you questions. And so explaining why we're going to be asking them and getting them to think deeply. Another thing I, I did really badly was, I've got loads of things I, I didn't do well. Um, a colleague of mine, um, Alan, was observing me a couple of years back. And when I was getting them to write an answer or write something down, I was then talking constantly because I wasn't comfortable, comfortable with that silence. So I'd get them to do a task or I would get them to think. And then what I do is constantly talk while they're thinking, because I thought I'm giving them tips on what they should be thinking about. And he just said at the end of the lesson observation, he just went, he came out and he goes, just shut up. And I said, sorry. And he goes, just when they're thinking or when they're writing something. Just be quiet and it's OK. And that really made me think, right, OK, yeah, just give them that thinking time and get them. And some pupils will take a little couple of minutes longer to think. And that's OK. And that's where that challenge question comes. If you've thought about this, right, what's this? How do you extend this further? <laughs>
3: Yeah I mean there's some really good resources out there I mean I I I've read um you know all the EEF uh, documents on reading and writing how to uh deal with disciplinary disciplinary literacy which we've discussed today as well um and there's also uh some stuff from Tom Sherrington who's uh who's uh, put out some uh, videos um on teaching and learning which are which are excellent um there's something else that came into my mind, and I'm just going to quickly go through it. And I apologize to my <laughs> listeners today. I am a bit slow because I've been ill. So I'm trying my best to, uh, to get through this show today. Um, but there, there's, um, it's gone out of my head. I'm just going to have to leave it. Okay, Um, there was another book and it was basically a a really good uh, section in there, which helps you uh, improve and tackle some of the issues that we're having with regards to teaching and learning within the classroom environment. Um, Atia, in terms of uh, deep dives and Ofsted, can you just explain, have you been preparing for Ofsted? Have you been Ofsteded yet? And what kind of things can we expect from a deep dive if it was to go ahead?
0: Um so we've not been offsteaded yet, but I've put spoken to um just on that literacy course I was to, um on. Uh somebody had been offsteaded literally the day before. And then we've recently had some training around um and deep dives because we're expecting the call soon. Um, but also really just get getting to understand what the government's thinking and where should we be now, and it helps you develop as well, doesn't it, as a school. Um a key thing that's come out is for me was um heads of faculty having to explain why we've chosen different aspects of the curriculum or the course content for our area our, our school context so for me for being head well for leading business studies um why have i chosen the topics i've chosen um for my school context so i teach in a very uh, a disadvantaged multi, multi-ethnic um, diverse community and why have I chosen to teach in that sequence and those topics now the answer really shouldn't be um, just because it's on the school uh, the exam spec yes mm. that's what I need to follow but what else am I putting in there why have I changed things so for enterprise and marketing I've not gone in the exam sequence that the, the exam board have said simply because I need my students to understand what a business is so I've started with LO because. LO5 first I need them to understand what ownership and how businesses are owned and that concept around the business world before I can start marketing. Because for me, I feel that marketing would be a concept that they need secondary when they've got their base. So being able to explain why I've chosen a sequence. Have I blindly just followed what the exam board have said, which isn't the answer, really? And how have I changed what I'm teaching? Um, Another one was um, about... The imp- how, what high quality teaching would look like. So what? So as a head of faculty, I will be spoken to first, and um, I would be asked what are, it, what are, sh- what should I be expecting to see in my lessons? And I'll be able to refer to my curriculum map and say, right, this is where we're up to, and broadly speaking, this is where teachers should be up to. And then I'll be asked about what's working well and what isn't, and when. The visitors are going around the school or into those lessons it should near enough mirror what I'm saying so you can't sit there and say everything's excellent and I've got everything nailed and everything's brilliant because that's not going to be reality because even as in our discussion today so we've talked about all the things that we're developing and we haven't done so well so being open and honest about where you are on your journey
3: yeah, I mean, it's, it's really important um, to be uh, to have that awareness of your department. And I've I, in other schools that I've worked in, I've always had department audits. So for me, the deep dive just seems like a, a whole school audit that Ofsted is uh, going through uh, for every department. So for, to me, it's not a big deal. It's basically things that I've been doing for years anyway. One of the things that I found really important was um, the bit where it talks about, for example, if you have non-specialists in your area area so for example for a lot of people in ICT and business we do get a lot of non-specialists in our area teaching our subjects and whether they're up to date with um, subject knowledge and how do you deliver that subject knowledge how do you ensure that they can deliver subject knowledge uh, appropriately Uh, and the other is cross-curricular work as well how are you ensuring that uh, your subject is being used in other subjects or you're using other subjects within your area as well and I always use a lot of English uh, and maths, obviously in business uh, studies, and we have to make sure that we we've got that clearly marked on our curriculum uh, maps to make sure that we are, you know, you know, to make sure that we are uh, doing what we are, we should be with regards to cross curricular work as well. I think um, I think there's a lot more we could say about deep dives at here. But um, I've run out of time, so uh, I'm just going to ask you, is there anything you want to finish off on Deep Dives and Ofsted?
0: Just one final thing I would say is um, about pupils and are they able to explain what we're doing and why we're doing? So, yes, we've got these big picture or PLCs in in the front of our books, but are they able to engage with that? And are they able to explain what they've done and what they're doing next and where this subject links in with, with everything else? Um, and so it's not just about them saying, oh, uh, reading the lesson objective really quickly. It's actually them understanding and for teachers to make that explicit link around why this topic or this lesson fits in and why are we learning this? And that, I think, was something that stood out for me as well.
3: Yeah. And just to finish off, I just want to ask you one question before I go, because I've just kind of taken that from what you said. There was this big thing on Twitter, which I was reading uh last week or the week before I can't remember I just wanted to know your thoughts on it what are your thoughts about students having target grades written inside of their books (laughs) mixed
0: I feel like sometimes it can be you know it's how it's taught really isn't it it's about teachers explaining why that target grade so the fact that it's it's something that's derived from a primary school grade and we we you know broadly speaking this is where you're up to a not hindering you and thinking you can't access this grade and B not thinking okay I can do this and I'm, I'm going to be complacent now um and then that's that's like a, a uh, an almost like a this is where you're broadly supposed to be, but challenging them constantly saying, I'm teaching you to the top. And regardless of what that grade says, this is where we're supposed to be up to. So that they're not getting hooked on that. But I do feel like they need to know broadly where they're up to as well.
3: Yeah. Great, thank you. Um, Leanne said that uh, there's so much push still in primary for evidence in books and she thinks it's important still for the evidence to be in children's thoughts and how they can explain what they know. So I'm assuming that's with uh, knowing why they're being taught what they're taught uh, and part of grade setting, uh, target setting comes into that as well. Atia, I've had some really good messages coming in saying that you were brilliant today. Thank you so much for coming on. And I wish you all the blessed. Please do stay in touch with us if you can.
0: I've had a fantastic time this morning. I've learned so much from you. And thank you. And even saying it out loud just makes you think like this is what I need to develop as well. So thank you so much for having me on. I've really enjoyed it.
3: No problem. We'll keep in touch after. Okay. OK, thank you. Bye All bye. right, see you later. Bye. Right, OK, uh, thanks to my listeners. Uh, we're just going to move over to the advert. We are slightly delayed today and then we'll move over to the news and then we'll come back with the next topic.
2: Need support with your phonics teaching? Did you know Oxford University Press now has three DFE-validated programmes to help you? Read Write Ink Phonics, Floppies Phonics and the brand new Essential Letters and Sounds. Do you struggle with people pleasing? Is it a constant battle managing different and difficult personalities? Why not inspire, challenge and empower your team through the Mal CPD Essential Coaching Skills for School Leaders course? Or gain practical skills to become a strong and compassionate leader through the assertive leadership and the emotionally intelligent leader courses? All MAL CPD courses are accredited by the Institute of Leadership and Management. Find out more at www.malcpd.com. This is Teachers Talk Radio, and this is Teachers Talk Radio News.
1: The national lorry driver shortage has been widely reported in recent weeks, as have the trading issues which have occurred post-Brexit. Both are reported as putting pressure on businesses such as petrol stations and supermarkets, but now it appears the situation is spreading. ISS, a catering firm supplying food to 450 schools, said disruption to what it can offer schools is likely to last until the new year. In a leaked email obtained by ITV, the company advises head teachers on stocking up and ways to keep feeding children through the winter. The advice includes topping up on long-life milk, dried and tinned foods, so that food will be available in a worst-case scenario. Whilst the company says it remains confident it will be able to keep supplying meals, it suggests schools ensure they are prepared. Children's favourites such as fish fingers, bread, ham and some soft drinks are amongst the products the company is struggling to source. ISS has issued a statement saying its ability to provide schools with nutritious meals has not been impacted and that contingency advice to schools was being issued and that regular contact with schools was being maintained. A Department for Education spokesman said there was no evidence to suggest widespread supply issues. Supply chain issues are reported to be causing disruption to the delivery of CO2 monitors to schools in Wales, according to a report on Wales Online. The clean air technology was promised to schools by the first week in October, but delays may mean that schools do not receive them until after the half-term break. The CO2 monitors are designed to warn when there is not enough clean air in a room. They are seen by many as a key mitigation measure to help reduce the spread of COVID-19 and protect staff and pupils. Headteachers across Wales are reporting that more pupils and staff are absent now than at any other time during the pandemic and that education is facing worse disruption than in the previous academic year. The Welsh Government has said it's spending £2.5 million on the CO2 monitors and that this will equate to one monitor for every classroom. Finally, the Guardian is reporting on fresh figures released by the Office for National Statistics which suggests that, in England, the spread of COVID-19 is fast outpacing the vaccination programme for secondary age pupils. The ONS now says that last week 1 in 14 secondary pupils had COVID. This is an increase from the 1 in 20 of the previous week. According to data released by the UK Health Security Agency, fewer than 1 in 10 of the age groups eligible for the vaccine have received it although more than a third of those vaccinated were in the vulnerable group. The vaccination programme is seen to be key in keeping schools open and limiting infections. This has been your Teachers Talk Radio weekend news.
3: Right, welcome back. Uh, if you're just listening in now, we've had Atya Ejaz talking about uh, business studies. She's been a head of business studies uh, and she's worked across whole school in a leadership role. Um, Apologies for the way that I'm speaking right now. I've got a really bad sore throat and I'm trying to get through this show as best as I can. Um, But I'm gonna start off with a rant in the next session. One of the reasons why I'm not feeling so great is because uh, I think it's that time of year where it is very cold and everybody is feeling uh, the effects of the pandemic and the workload that we've been through uh, and the continuous uh, workload and pressures that we do have in schools right now. Um, I do have listeners who aren't teachers and they assume that we uh, do the bare minimum or we finish work at three. Um, Live on radio, just to let you know, I'm just going to quickly go through my working hours. I am a head of department. I have been for the last five years uh, and I have been in other schools as well. I regularly wake up at five o'clock. I do my marking because I can't fit in uh, all day, every day, because right now I'm teaching six GCSE classes across two year groups. I'm teaching year 10 and year 11. um, And I also teach uh, travel and tourism as well. So from 5 o'clock to 7 o'clock or possibly 8 o'clock, I spend my time marking sometimes. Um, I then get ready for work. I'm in work uh, most of the time by 7.30, 8 o'clock. Um, go through my whole day. So go through period one, period two, um, break times uh, have been reduced. So we no longer have, um, sorry, break times are still the same, but lunchtime has been reduced. We no longer have an hour for lunch. So we have half an hour break time. Then we have another two-hour period uh, lessons, and then we have half an hour uh, lunchtime. Um, And then it's full-on for another lesson. And then after school at 3 o'clock, I usually have some other activity to do. So I've got responsibilities. So I'm leading on whole school ed tech right now, which means that I either on a Monday do uh, an after school club uh, there with my digital leaders, leaders, which are a group of students who roll out. Uh, all of the digital stuff that I do across the school. Um, On Tuesdays, we normally have meetings. On Wednesdays, I usually have training for staff related to digital training or or any other CPD that's needed uh, around that time. Uh, On Thursdays, I have meetings as well. And on Fridays, I have intervention after school. Now, as you can see, um, my days are quite packed. I hardly get any breathing space. And even then, um, I come home, I relax, de-stress, and then I'm back at home working again. And then the next day, the same thing happens again. Uh, And my Sundays are usually the same. Saturday is the only day that I take off. And Sunday, I'm working uh, nonstop as well. Um, Obviously, I work for the radio show, and I absolutely love that. I have lots of fun with that. Um, But then in the afternoon, I have to catch up with uh, some of the stuff that I've not been able to do whilst I was at work during the week, whether it's my admin or whether it's my marking. Now, one of the problems that I have um, with what's happening with the changes that are coming from central government right now are that uh, the insinuation that we don't do enough as teachers. Uh, And that kind of irritates me a bit because uh, for the first eight years of my teaching career, I didn't have a social life. Uh, I used to see other teachers enjoying themselves, having fun, going out on the weekends and stuff, but I'm in a subject where it doesn't allow me to do that. I'm in a secondary school. I used to work in sixth form. Uh, I was constantly marking stuff all the time. Um, It's got to the point now where I find some of the things that are coming from central government to be very ridiculous. So, for example, the additional tuition, um, the, uh, the intervention that we put on as schools. I do know that we need to support our students, but my question is and my rant is that if our teaching and learning is effective and if it's so brilliant, and students are understanding lessons and it's an outstanding department and it's an outstanding school why are we having to do so much intervention within our own time so these are questions you need to think about and it's questions that i i I want answered by somebody because why are we having to as teachers do so much extra and it's not going through to the media like they, they don't think we're doing what we should be doing. Parents complain all the time saying that they don't think we're doing what we should be doing. But where has the responsibility gone from students and from parents? It's something, that is some, it's something that people need to think about. We're at this stage now where, you know, this has been going on for a long time. We need to be a world-class education system. We need to do this. We need to do that. One of the things that really did irritate me this weekend was something that was said in the news uh, about um, providing more English. And, like A lot of students weren't passing English and math subjects. Uh, they weren't getting their, their qualifications to move on into either further study or move on uh, to progress into the world of work. That's an issue for me because obviously that's the whole point of school in order to uh, make sure that they uh, do have something to progress onto once they leave. And I know there is debate about that uh, within uh, the circles of Twitter, but essentially students need to have English and maths when they leave. One of my issues is that, for example, I'm head of business. I don't get the same Curriculum time as English and maths. I don't get the same intervention time as English and maths. And in some of the schools that I've worked in, my results have always been higher than English and maths. So, my question is what is happening in English and maths that is preventing those students from getting those grades? It's also putting pressure on me because where I'm uh, delivering my subject and I'm delivering my content within two years, I'm now struggling with those students who don't have good English skills and who don't have good math skills. And so I'm having to not only teach my subject, I'm having to go down to the basics with teaching them how to uh, formulate proper sentence structures, how to uh, make sure their spelling, punctuation, and grammar is correct, how to make sure that their maths is uh, of good quality, like how they can understand simple things. Now I do know that it's very difficult for students to translate their skills from one subject into another, but isn't this something that we should be thinking about as a whole profession of breaking down subject disciplines and using it more across whole school? Because for me, I'm struggling some days Um, And the amount of intervention that I'm having to do outside in my own time is now becoming ridiculous. And this is obviously on a school by school basis. There are some schools who possibly don't do any intervention or don't need to do any intervention. But when it does cut into our own personal time, when we are doing extra already, I do think that there needs to be an onus on parents to take responsibility and on students to take responsibility as well. So that's my one of my rants uh, for today. And I don't usually like ranting on my show, but it is something that um, has caused me to get ill. <laughs> and it is something that I am highlighting as an issue within our profession that we need to think about carefully. Um, the other thing that I read uh, recently, and again, this has come from Twitter, and obviously it's Black History Month, is this notion of white feminism. And is white feminism betraying women of color? So there was a book written by um, Ruby Hamad, which is called White Tears, Brown Scars. And um, she goes on to explain this concept that we're conditioned um, to, to make sure that women, uh, especially white women have more privilege than uh, women of color and how they use um, tears strategically to silence women of colour as well. Now, I'm not sure how I feel about this because I have a lot of female friends who are from all walks of life and from all ethnic uh, minorities and also uh, I have lots of uh, friends who are white women as well. This book goes on to suggest that white women tears signal power and not weakness they're able to leave the conversation and they can choose to leave when they want and that white women use their tears as victimhood to keep white male patriarchy in place so for example a woman who has been employed in the same medium organizations for five years to a decade would possibly um can only be uh, achieved basically by upholding the way, the patriarchy uh, system that's already in place. And it's part of holding up the old boys club as well. And what this book goes on to suggest is that for women of colour, they work twice as hard, if not three times as hard, three times as hard. And they're frequently better than men and white women but those people are promoted ahead of her. And so no matter how hard she worked, she wasn't gonna break through. And she would need to get results three times as good as male co-workers to get promoted. And her her achievements will never be acknowledged either. And I'm not sure how I feel about this, but it's something that I wanted to bring up because I see a lot of people on Twitter, especially educators using this, uh and discussing this quite openly and for me um i think it's kind of um i think it's unhelpful to kind of have these divisions within society yes i do agree there are structural um structural things in place that benefit some types of people more than others and, you know, what they're talking about in this book is that uh, white women strategically use their innocence as a shield from criticism uh, and what they want from women of color. So they're basically uh, disempowering and silencing women of color. And it's all about white solidarity against people of color. But I'm not sure how I feel about this. It doesn't make me feel comfortable. I've said this before many times that. I'm a teacher, I came into the profession, I'm ethnic minority. And yes, I do agree that there are issues within our profession. And I do agree that there are issues in every profession uh, within this country, but not just this country, but globally across the world. I don't think divisions are helpful, though. And I think what I'm seeing a lot of on Twitter is uh, different groups of people coming out uh, and advocating for change, which is fantastic but we don't need to be so divisive is what I'm saying. Uh, That doesn't mean that I'm not acknowledging anybody or I'm I'm disempowering anybody. It just means that as my colleague uh, Atlanta said earlier on this week, that as a professional, it is really important to think about how you represent yourself. And sometimes I'm disheartened when I'm reading things on Twitter, because it makes me feel like all the work that we're doing in the classroom is kind of being taken away um, because of how people are behaving within society, uh, especially uh, within a public platform. Um, It's not great. It's not a great look at all. Uh, and I'm sitting there thinking, well, from a professional point of view, if I went round accusing white females of being X, Y, Z, then that doesn't look good. And it would be the same, you know, in, if it was the other way around, if people were openly aggressive towards members uh, who were ethnic minority. So essentially... Um, it's something that I've been thinking about, and it it never used to happen within education. I mean it's always been there as an undercurrent, but I do think that um there is much more division now than there ever has been, and part of that division has come down to what's happening on social media and society and I guess the whole point of me flagging this up today is not to rant about it or give anyone a lecture but just to think about yourself as a professional and how you're coming across. Um, because I know for a fact that I wouldn't like it if someone was undermining me or speaking down to me or implying or insinuating uh, anything, um, you know, that was, uh, that was different about me. Um, it's the same the other way around as well. Uh, I don't think this gives us an opportunity to uh, knock white people uh, because of their privilege or whatever you want to call it. I think it's important to be fair uh, and balanced. Um, And I just want to say a quick hello from uh, Ryan from Myanmar. Thank you so much for calling in from Myanmar. Uh, I read an article this morning, actually, uh, about how things have got out of hand uh, in Myanmar. Uh, I hope things are not too bad in the area that you're living in. It'd be nice if you could just message in or just let us know how you are. Um, but anyway, going back to my point, um, the whole point I'm making is that I think we need to just be a bit balanced uh, and a bit more professional. And if you look at our standards, it does say that uh, as a as a teaching professional, uh, you do need to make sure that... Um, you do represent yourself in the public eye, uh, you know, uh, appropriately. Um, Again, (laughs) I'm not trying to give anyone a lecture or anything. I just think it's really important and and things to think about there. Okay, um, my throat is killing me i'm really sorry <laughs> i'm gonna have to leave it there for today um thank you all for listening in uh, i will try and go through some more stuff uh, in a couple of weeks time i won't be doing this show regularly anymore uh unfortunately uh my work commitments have taken over and i am due an offstead so wish me luck there um i will be on every two weeks i will advertise the show well in advance we have got some stunning guests coming on thank you khalil uh thank you uh nathan for liking the show as well um keep an eye out for some of the guests that are coming on i've got some big people coming on uh in the future and uh yeah just enjoy the rest of today. We've got um, Graham coming up next, and we've also got Khalil coming on after, and we've also got Hareen coming on in the afternoon as well. Uh, it's been really good today to listen to Atia. Uh, I'm going to go and catch up with her after the show, see, see if I can steal some tips from her. <laughs> um, but yeah, stay tuned. I'll be back in two weeks' time. Take care.